So I guess we'll record the intro after, if you want. Yeah, we could just go. So we could just get into the discussion part of it. Um, so who had the first question? Oh, wait. Actually, who are we? <laughs> what happens when you stop seeing people stop behind seeing bars as criminals? Bars as what happens when you stop seeing people behind bars as criminals and start seeing them as human beings? Welcome to Sentences, Storytellers Beyond Bars. So on today's episode, what do we talk about? On today's episode, we talk about the hows and whys <laughs> of the Words on Cage project and this podcast that you're listening to right now. <laughs> oh, so, so official. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who do we have on the podcast today? We feature Doug Salihaw and our very own Mr. Alfred. And Lizette. <laughs> and Jose. Yes. But yeah, we talk about, yeah, because they were saying that how how we got involved in Words Encaged and why we got involved. And it was actually a really long um, conversation we had that we were splitting up into two episodes. Um, so this is part one of a two-parter, so stick around for the second part uh, soon. Yeah, it, it gets really interesting. I think we just had a really great uh, discussion that just kept going to places that I didn't expect it to go. No, it's really... It was really interesting. And we're still learning. Yes. Please keep in mind that this is our first attempt at a podcast. <laughs> and it'll only get better. Yes. We promise that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get too deep into the podcast, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Dr. Roy. You'll probably hear us mention him by name at least a couple of times. But uh, Dr. Roy is currently the faculty director of Cal State LA's BA program at Lancaster State Prison, and as well as the Words and K Project, Uncaged Project, <laughs> and Pause for Life programs at Lancaster State Prison, Mule Creek State Prison, and the CMC Prison. So these programs provide platforms for men sentenced to life sentences in California prisons um, to dialogue and critically engage with the world beyond prison walls. And although we're, this podcast isn't a direct... Like, we're not directly tied to Words Encaged. Um, we are largely associated with it. And because it's a one that we're, the project that we're most familiar with on campus, mm-hmm. this is what's going to influence a lot of the content. So I feel like it makes sense for us to read a little excerpt from Dr. Roy's intro to the last year's uh, literary journal for the project. Um, there's just one part that I think was really interesting, yeah. and, and it's pretty reflective of the philosophy of the project and the philosophy of the podcast in some sense. Um, So this is in his words. He says, quote, It is our hope that these stories enrich you in some way and as such illuminate why we are diminished as a society by our current system of mass incarceration. We do not offer any answers to the challenges of criminal justice in the United States, but simply invite you to see the world with incarcerated men, to see the sky from the perspective of their cells, We ask you to question whether or not you think transformation is possible and to take a look at our system of mass incarceration with these thoughts in your mind and these stories in your hearts, end quote. Um, So I think he's talking about the stories in the the journal, Mm -hmm. but I I think that um, we can apply this to the stories that we're going to collect in this podcast, and this is definitely something we want to do, right? Yeah, in such a Um, more broad sense. Yeah, okay. And that's Dr. Roy in a very small nutshell. Yeah. So in this first part of the episode podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about how we got 
involved with the project. And this is the first part of a two-part segment that you're going to hear a little bit later. What project are you talking about? Is that... Oh, the Words in Cage project. Thanks, Alfred. <laughs> Still trying to get the swing of things here. But yeah, so this is just the introduction to us and the project itself. So uh, there's a professor on campus who runs Words Uncaged, which is a program that's bringing uh, university education into uh, the prison system, uh, offering it to certain sets of, of inmates. And um, the Dr. Roy, the professor who runs that program, uh, involves students on the Cal State LA campus um, with students uh, on the, in, who are incarcerated. And so I took a class with, with Dr. Roy uh, that was focused on both uh, literature about incarceration and uh, put us into a sort of learning community with incarcerated students. And from there, started working with Alfred and Doug on, uh, on issues of incarceration. And, well, I, I got involved in this whole thing a little bit differently. I, I got a friend who's uh, been doing about nine years in the CDC, the California Department of Corrections. He's been in there since he was like 17. Um, I've known him since he was like 14 or 15. Um, and I've been writing to him and visiting him ever since. And uh, he's been working on AAs through mails, uh, th through a bunch of out-of-state colleges that offer Associates of Arts through mail. And I think I was just browsing through the Cal State LA website once. I, I was already working here. And I was browsing, browsing through the website and I saw something about Words Uncaged, about Cal State LA offering a Bachelor's of Arts uh, to inmates in uh, Lancaster, Lancaster State Prison. And I hit up Dr. Roy uh, and then I found out that Alfred was working with Dr. Roy and uh, Alfred, Salia and I tried starting this tutoring, like, tutoring program for uh, the guys who were enrolled in the, in the Bachelor's program at Lancaster State Prison. And, uh, somehow that morphed into this, yeah. And I think, well, one question I want to ask all of us is like, is a question I get a lot when I'm talking about this project with other people is why are you working with in, uh, incarcerated people? Mm -hmm. Like, why would you, like, have you been involved? Um, you know, have you been incarcerated? Like, that, w that seems to make most sense to people as mm -hmm. to why anyone would want to work with that community mm -hmm. if, is if there's someone, if there's like some sort of direct um, like relationship to that mm -hmm. um, and if you know you don't have to divulge any crazy details if you don't want I just I just that's a good question I think that that we all get at some point yeah. and um, I want to see what other people answer well, why I got involved uh, me and Lizette kind of fell into it mm -hmm. we were asked to come to a meeting for words engaged, no. not knowing what it was. We were asked to come to a meeting, yeah, without knowing what <laughs> yeah. it was. And uh, we came in and we heard, uh, I think Dr. Roy was, was here, and, mm -hmm. and he explained the project, and we were, I was interested immediately after he explained it. Um, that was a while ago, right? That was way before this whole, like, writing over, center. Yeah, a yeah. little over a year ago. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we just came to the meeting uh, without knowing what it was, and we had seen uh, there was an event on campus right outside the student union and uh, we saw postcards and that Dr. Roy was teaching, I think it was a seminar where students were corresponding to inmates and to students, I think there were students from Lancaster too. And I remember being interested in the project but I didn't know how to go about getting involved. So when we fell into the meeting, Dr. Roy was like, just come, like you're in it already, like let's, let's do this. 
So that was very welcoming. And here's where we talk about why we got involved with this project. And I'll be honest, I didn't answer the question in the recording. <laughs> I know, she so. got sneaky and she, tried, <laughs> she actually avoided it. So I'll answer it now. Uh, for me, it stemmed very much from curiosity. Uh, seeing that students at Cal State LA were corresponding with students who were behind bars at somehow, it was intriguing. And I just wanted to know what that was like, the experience, what that experience was like for them. So if I could become part of the project, I figured, why not? Well, I think uh, the the way he was approaching it, uh, he wasn't um, taking this sort of moralistic uh, approach to it, like, oh, this is good, this is bad. He's just trying to see uh, these people who are in this institution um, as as human, as, as we should see everybody, that everybody makes these choices, and sometimes society uh, deems them um, a certain way for whatever reason and he's trying to give them a voice because sometimes you get you could get caught up on stuff I'm sure we've all been caught up on something and some people get caught some don't yeah yeah that's a good point some people get caught some people don't <laughs> yeah 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 so I mean I what I said previously kind of touched on that already but um like, like cr- criminal justice and crime and policing and prisons and jail have, have been part of my life not personally but indirectly through like uncles and cousins and brothers and stuff like that you know I've had a lot of family members and friends like I already mentioned who've done time and who are doing time um, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it started but maybe like in high school or something or uh, yeah I can't I can't re- recall exactly how it all started but I think through documentaries actually I started seeing some documentaries when I was in community college on a on prison and you know the way people live in there and the types of people that are in there and uh, oh and, and like there's all these movies and books that kind of paint this picture of how the world is in there you know and the type of people and why they end up there and through my own experience through my family and then seeing documentaries and reading other things I found out hey it's not really like that um, and then I read this book called uh, Lockdown America by, I think his name's Christian Parenti or something like that. And he, I guess it was like his thesis or something on uh, how the prison complex evolved into what it is and how it was like a reaction to the civil rights movement um, and to, and to uh, like uh, identity, um, how can I put this on? Like militant identity groups, like, like, like black power, Chicano power, um, the the Indian American movement, how all this, how all these groups of people who became really political and ideological and armed themselves, um, not only with weapons but with knowledge and with or, or organization tactics, how they be, started becoming a little too powerful for the status quo. So the status quo kind of responded with the prison industrial complex, and that's kind of how I got into this whole thing. Yeah. Um, this is Saleha. Like Doug, um, I have experience in my community with, uh, uh, with the prison system. I'm African American and I come from a working class and underclass uh, black community, East Palo Alto in, uh, in the Bay Area. And um, 
through my family history with some involvement with the Black Panthers, I also had some experience growing up with people who were political prisoners. And so um, absolutely, this has been a part of my consciousness from the time I was a very small child. But just around high school and is around the time when you start seeing your friends and peers tried as adults and being put into so you know you might experience have some experience with the juvenile justice system when you are from a working class uh, community uh, racialized community um, when you're about that junior high age but high school is when you start to see your your friends and perhaps your relatives being treated like adults in that system and um, I have a brother who's been incarcerated for over 20 years now um, and he has also, he had a college degree before he was uh, incarcerated, but he has been able to take actually graduate level classes um, in, uh, through a similar type of program in Oregon. And so I was also familiar with some education programs that were targeted toward um, uh, bringing together incarcerated students and students who are not incarcerated. Um, and there, they're able to have programs actually in the prison. And so um, the, the non-incarcerated students would actually come into the prison and have class with the incarcerated students. I don't think we've been able to manage that in, I don't, in the state of California just yet, but I think it would be awesome if yeah. we could. What, what state was that? Oregon. That's pretty far out. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. Um, and so, again, though, there is a gender disparity. Most of these programs are offered in men's prisons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we're still ignoring the needs of women and overwhelmingly women of color who are locked up in, uh, in the prison systems. So I wanted to, to point that out that we're still dealing with, with as we deal with issues of race, we want to take an intersectional approach and remember the way that women are marginalized even further um, when it comes to opportunities. Um, so my involvement is personal because of my own personal history um, and I want to do what I can in my tiny, tiny little part to, to try to uh, to resist this system and to help people who are, are struggling, like Jose said, which is really, really important. When we talk about incarcerated people, we're not talking about people who are irredeemable or have done things so terrible that they should be just thrown away, especially when we live in a society that has either the highest rate or close to the highest rate of incarcerating its own citizens in the world. It's, mm -hmm. it's not possible that that percentage of our population is just people we should, we should just throw away and ignore. Um, these are just the people who got caught and increasingly caught in a system that is all about generating profit for certain groups of people at the expense of others. Um, so when I talk about resistance, I'm really talking about uh, resistance against a racist, sexist, and deeply classist system that enriches a small percentage of people at the expense of whole communities. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've actually we're going to have the opportunity to work with the women's prison uh, coming up. I don't know exactly when. Uh, it sounds like it's still going to happen. We don't have a precise date, but somebody spoke to Dr. Roy earlier this week, and he said that the project is still happening. So what they're doing is that they're having workshops for this women's prison, um, and this is like a creative writing or just a writing kind of workshop. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is facilitate a space just to do what they want from us. Like if we're coming in, we're gonna we're here to serve. Like mm -hmm. what are what what is it that you want to learn? What is it that we can help you with? Um and 
uh, just to add to what you're saying, it sounds like there was somebody who was already set to come into this prison to help facilitate workshops like this, and either they bailed, or for whatever reason, they're not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So rather than having two different works, uh, workshops happening simultaneously, one's been cut off, the other one's been pushed back. So mm-hmm. it's still uncertain, but we're really pushing to see if we can yeah. make it happen. We've already, we got a, like a, I forget what it was, a questionnaire. So we've already had some sort of contact with them, asking them exactly what they want That's fantastic. in the program. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I don't know where Alfred went, but <laughs> <laughs> we can... There he is. Why, right? Is that the question? Yeah. Um, I think I gravitated towards the, the work because um, of my personal experiences with the law, I think I've been kind of fortunate where I haven't really been. <clears throat> I grew up in Boyle Heights, but my interaction with the law didn't really happen until I moved out of Boyle Heights. And I remember walking to work one day, and you might have heard this story already. And I was working working at In-N-Out at the moment. And then uh, this cop car just pulled up behind me and told me to drop my backpack and handcuffed me and started like going through my stuff and asking like if he was gonna find anything. Um, and I was like laughing because I'm like this, I'm innocent, there's nothing I did, you know, trusting, had complete trust in the system, right? Like just clearly nothing's gonna happen mm-hmm. to me, yeah. Um, and uh, I get handcuffed, put in the back of the car and I'm asking like, well, what's going on? Like what, and then he's just like, shut up, you know, he's on the radio with whoever. Um, and I'm, all that's in my mind is like, I'm going to be late to work. <laughs> like I need to, like I had a whole Kafka-esque kind of moment. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I going to get to work? Um, and after a while, because I had a, a neighbor who was a cop, so I'm like, oh, someone's playing a prank on me or something. <laughs> um, and then I ended up just being released with no, with no explanation, like no nothing. He's like, all right, you're good to go. And I'm like, what happened? Like, wh- why was I? And then he was just like... <clears throat> He was about to get in his car, like ignoring my question, and I asked him, like, "What? What can I get a ride to work?" And he's, and then, wow. <laughs> and then he's like, "No," <laughs> and he's like, "No," and he drove off. I was like, "Great," you know. So I'm like walking to work, like nothing. But um, I think that was my first, like, red flag. I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't as like, maybe it is kind of broken. Maybe something's up. Um, and I remember. Uh, also being in, not in prison but I was uh, hold, held at the, like the local the local, local jail, jail, yeah, local jail like yeah, the police for, department or something yeah the, uh, in Alhambra one, di- one time um, for something that that was stupid right but that one experience where I spent the, the night in jail was enough to be like oh shit like this is like who treats people like yeah. this right and that's yeah. just at that level right yes. I can imagine how it's gonna be or how yeah. it would be at mm-hmm. the at the state or county level um so with those like experiences in the back of my mind, and then when I met with Dr. Roy, um, I took a, a seminar with him, and we were corresponding, and we were reading some books. We read Michelle Alexander's book, right, mm-hmm. um, The New Jim Crow, and I think that was like, oh, shit, like, this is my first introduction to this idea of it's an extension of slavery. This is like, uh, this hasn't gone away. Um, the book that they recently tried to ban. Yes, in it's prisons, several prisons. Right? Yeah. They have tried to ban. The, so they've the read that. From so it. the so the guys at Lancaster State Prison, which which is the population we're working with, they read that mm. uh, that book, mm-hmm. and he he was like lucky enough that it was new enough mm-hmm. that they hadn't read well it, known, yeah. that they yeah. were able to read that. Yeah. Yeah. So he snuck that in as early as he could. Good. <clears throat> Great. Because um, as you know, like even though you're working with 
within like this college framework like they're still very critical about what they're reading inside mm -hmm. um, as part of the, the, the college project so I think that's my answer right along with all your other great answers we're like they're human right they're, they're just they're people they're human they deserve the very basic needs um, I think the more I've read and the more I've gone into this the more I participate in this project the more I realize how important it is to focus a lot of a lot more resources a lot more attention a lot more energy toward shining light on all the broken pieces of this yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think that awareness is is absolutely critical and, and I guess the first major step of this work because we're so accustomed to thinking of people who are incarcerated as people again who've just done bad things and they're being this their 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 <coughs> justice is being done by locking them up um, and when we take a look at the history of incarceration in this country, the entire criminal justice system really, um, and the way, and again, books like Michelle Alexander's and New Jim Crow, and, and uh, the, I don't remember the name of the book that Doug was talking about, but oh, clearly- Lockdown America. Lockdown <laughs> America, so clearly there um, is plenty of information that exists and I think needs to be um, communicated to the wider public. Uh, that gives lie to this idea that 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 um, that justice is being served by locking up for long periods of time so much of our population. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's maybe some of the most important work a podcast podcast like this can do is um, is helping people understand what's actually going on and how people are actually treated from their first maybe interactions with law enforcement all the way through long-term imprisonment, this constant process of dehumanization. And I'm hoping through like listening to this podcast or even participating in it, more people <clears throat> realize how, how they might have had already an interaction with the law that they don't even realize was, mm -hmm. um, was an interaction and how everyday people, right, not just inherently bad people, mm. uh, interact with the law on a daily basis. So I think that's still a very popular narrative that's, that's spread, right? Like, you know, prisons are necessary because there are bad people in the world, mm -hmm. right? Versus people make good and bad decisions, mm -hmm. and we need to figure out a better way of making sure that people make better decisions in the future instead of pretending that you know, hiding them away or locking them away or exiling them is going to get rid of the problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we prison is a solution to very few, if any, problems. So, especially when we think about the kinds of people who are locked up or increasingly we see here in California, we just passed legislation that uh, legalized recreational use of marijuana, right? And this is a big issue because how many people are sitting in prison now for using marijuana, a substance that is now legal? Were those people bad because they're doing what lots of other people just didn't get caught doing? And is it worth taking away years of their lives, income earning potential of devastating a family? Um, and, and there are whole issues with being convicted of a crime and then being able to find work after being convicted, like we can, the prison can destroy lives <coughs> in so many ways. Mm -hmm. In addition to the trauma that people suffer in this prison system where so many people are being dehumanized, where violence is such a, a part of daily life, violence from all sorts of different directions, not just inmate to inmate, but guard to inmate, and that uh, an entire system is structured on violence. So you're dealing with people who might have done something that, you know, made, maybe taken care of with a fine or some other, or there's some other issues that need to be addressed. Um, being locked up 
possibly traumatized be by being locked up, then not being able to find work after they get out. We're, we're, we're um, destroying the lives of a whole lot of people, and that does not benefit society. That doesn't serve the interest of justice. Writing Center. <laughs> Hi, how? <laughs> how did that start? How did the Writing Center start for... Uh, you worked there too? Yeah. All yeah. three of you. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, how did that start? Me, Saleha, Doug, and Alfred uh, are all um, tutors at the Cal State LA um, University Writing Center. Um, and I'm trying to remember <laughs> I think... So, so from what I recall, I just wanted to get involved somehow. Um, and Dr. Roy, I guess, like the <coughs> university professor behind this whole thing here at Cal State LA, or, or, or the guy who's, I guess, uh, given the credit, um, he put on a meeting between several of his grad students, yeah. graduate students, and uh, several, several of his uh, uh, graduate students, undergraduate students, and, and myself, and we just wanted to know how, how we could get involved somehow. Yeah. And out of that, I think somebody somehow came up with the idea of, hey, what if we offer since we, most of us had experience being writing tutors here on campus at the Writing Center, um, we thought, hey, that's something we all have in common. Why don't we apply that mm -hmm. um, to these guys earning their, their bachelors uh, at Lancaster State? Mm -hmm. um, right, because if they're university students, they deserve all the resources that... Yeah, they're entitled yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. Right, yeah. other resources that we all yeah. get here. Yeah, because yeah, they are... Even though they're earning a bachelor's degree within a state prison in, in a LA County or Lancaster, they're technically Cal State LA students, mm -hmm. just like the rest of us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, thank you for jogging my memory. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I did too. I, I did too. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, so this was like a year ago, right? Um, so it's been a while since, um, since this all began for uh, for us in our discussion about uh, establishing a writing center for the incarcerated students. Um, so, and I think one of the reasons an idea like that was so exciting was not only being able to do what we can to make sure that there were, uh, there was, a, a, insofar as we could provide an equal access to resources for the incarcerated students, we were also really excited about challenging ourselves to, um, to implement a lot of the ideals we had been trained to strive toward in the writing center, um, dealing with incarcerated students. So the model that we use in our writing center here at Cal State LA is that we have 30 minute sessions where we sit down with the students and it's very conversation based. We talk to them about their own writing. Um, but because we were not we able to uh, enter the prison and sit down with the incarcerated students, actually helping them with their writing uh, posed a whole new set of challenges. Um, we believe really strongly that uh, authority belongs with the author, and that becomes magnified the importance when you're talking about incarcerated students when so much of their control has been taken from their lives. Um, and so it becomes even more important for, um, at least for me, it, that makes it even more important to try to do what I can to, this, to assist them in, in developing and nurturing strong voices in their writing. Um, so that the there was a real challenge there that I think excited us about trying to, to, uh, to work with these students and, and offer them um, the, the, the resources of, of tutors.
Um, also, I will say, after having read the work of incarcerated students, <laughs> there are some amazing writers uh, that I've come across, and um, and I think that that there were many people who were surprised when we first got the writing in the class that I took with Dr. Roy. When we first received um, the work of some of the incarcerated students, we were pretty blown away by the quality of the work that we were receiving. And a lot of that's probably just our own prejudices that we brought to the, the program with us and our assumptions about the education uh, that, the, that these men had received. Um, but obviously they, they had received the same level of education at least that we had. I mean, they had associate's degrees and they were in VA programs just like uh, a lot of the students in, in my own class. Um, and so, yeah, that's... <laughs> what are you offering? And I think... <clears throat> To touch on what Sally was saying, I think the level of freedom that Dr. Roy gave us mm -hmm. with the project yeah. was uh, refreshing and yeah. important, right? Yeah. It, allowed, it allowed us to kind of meld together all of our collective experiences yeah. with writing, you yeah. know, as English majors. Um, and we embraced this challenge that Sally was saying of distance, right, and time. And uh, we, we came up with a pretty good model, and I think the challenge, so it wasn't as successful as we wanted it to be, and the challenge, the biggest reason I think was the instructors who were teaching in the, in the prison and us, so we didn't know how to kind of, what our roles were in the, in the whole, in the larger scheme of things, and how to kind of assert ourselves in the space Especially given all the, the craziness that happens when you're trying to move materials in and out of a, yes, of a prison. Yeah. Like that presented an entirely new challenge that we couldn't predict. Can you talk about some of those challenges, Alfred? Sure. So everything that comes into the prison, well, not so much anymore because Dr. Roy's established a pretty good um, relationship with the, the warden. And um, that Dr. Roy put up with a lot of hazing from like the... Um, the, from the right, from the administration, from the guards, right? Mm -hmm. They would oh, they would make them wait, you know, in the yard, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and without anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, they would make them wait for a classroom. Sometimes they wouldn't let him in the classroom, and he would have to hold classroom class outside in the yard. And so, you know, that is no longer the case so much. <clears throat> and I remember the times I went into the prison um, with him. He was very clear about you do this, you follow my lead. You don't look at anybody that you don't need. Like he was just, as far as guards go, he was warning me more about like that the the people who work there versus the, the men we we're going to be working with. Mm -hmm. um, and that was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the challenges earlier on were like every piece of writing that went in and out of the out of, the, out of Lancaster had to be read by um, like a few few people. I don't remember who exactly. Um, and now they kind of trust him and they don't necessarily read every piece of writing but there's still the risk of if somebody catches something mm -hmm. you know um a guard or actually they don't say guard they say uh correctional officer? correctional officer right yeah, a guard CEOs. yeah CEOs. CEOs. if you say guard that's like a slap in the face and that's like the worst thing you could call a co because it, it, it according to um they have their own political correctness <clears throat> they do yeah it's a crazy it's, crazy. it's a crazy um I'd call them overseers, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was some of the challenges of, of getting stuff in and out uh, is not just the administration, but also maybe there's a lockdown and the student can't go to class that day or if that, that, student, that student's bunk gets um, 
search that day and or they do something they, that gets them you know in lockdown for that day or whatnot yeah so they're not allowed to produce the work or submit the work or attend class and so we don't get a consistent flow of work from them mm-hmm. um, so those are just some of the I'm sure I'm missing a lot more that I'm not even aware of but those are just some of the challenges that come with working with incarcerated students sorry for the abrupt stop there but we have a lot of content and you're just gonna have to wait till the next episode thank you for listening and uh, stay tuned tune out um, make sure you check us out on soundcloud and instagram you can find us under the handle sentences podcast and also don't forget check out the words in cage website wordsincage.com so you can follow along with our projects thanks <laughs>